And now, and now, the best of Pete Price. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a long time since I spoke to this man. You know I'm a great fan of his. You know I think he's amazing. And he's got a new series starting Monday night at 8 o'clock. Opposite EastEnders, it's on ITV, it's called For the Love of Dogs, it's Paul O'Grady. Hello, Paul. How are you? I always get the easy slots, don't I, <laughs> up against EastEnders. But that, actually, that's a nice little slot between the two corries, so um, I'm quite happy with that. Well, the most important thing, um, Paul, is we have billions of people who are dog lovers. Well, this is it, you're saying, you know, I am. I mean, I love them as well. I'm not obsessive, but I love me dogs. You know, so going down to Battersea Dogs Home was, uh, well, it wasn't my work, to tell you the truth. Where did the, the idea... Only... Sorry, hey? I was going to say, where did the idea come from? Um, they just asked me, because I've been dropping in like Gastos for years. I would like a show with animals, and I've been ignored. And um, eventually they said, oh, look, we've got this thing we're doing down Battersea Dogs Home. You're interested. And I'd never been to Battersea, so I jumped at it. And originally I was only supposed to do six days. I ended up doing six months. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get me out. Honestly, I was there every... I loved the place. Loved it. I just loved being in there. It's a great place. Paul, I will sum you up over animals. I will never forget it as long as I live. I rang you up one day to see how you were. You said I was in bed, blah, 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 blah. Next minute we hear, meh. I went, Paul, what are you doing? And you had a baby sheep in the bed with you because I, it needed feeding. I didn't have a goat. Oh. <laughs> it was a, and it wasn't in the bed with me. Stella Black started this room. And she went on telly and said, Paul, I'm ready to the goats. Like I was Dennis Wheatley. So... <laughs> So, um, no, it was a young goat. He was a really young kid, and he was he was too young, really, to have left his mother. And I had to bottle feed him, and it was winter. So I put him in the bedroom in a box by the fire. And also, so I could, you know, feed him every three hours. I didn't have to keep getting up all the time. I could just lean out with the bottle. Paul, how hard was it to do this show, for the love of dogs? Because I know you're passionate for animals. And you it must wasn't have seen... at all. Honestly, it was a joy to do. I mean, it was sad, you know, when you see the animals who've been abused coming in, the dogs who've been abused. And there are quite a few of those. And I mean, some of them. There was one in particular, a little staffy, who was found locked in a suitcase in a park with a polythene bag over its head. And it was just skin and bone. I've never seen anything like it. It looked like something that... the, the Special effects department would make for Doctor Who. You know, like an alien dog. Yeah, it yeah. was just awful. But the sad thing was, it, even though it was in such a state, it was still wagging its tail and was really friendly. And you think, how, how, you know, you think after you've been treated like that, you keep away from human beings. Paul, how is Battersea Dogs, how, uh, dogs Home uh, funded? Oh, well, it's not. Um, it's, it's actually publicly funded. They get a, a little bit of local authority money, but not much. And they rely, well, on the generosity of the public and donations, you know, and legacies left in wills and things. And there's a lot of dogs there. There's dogs and cats. They've got over 450 dogs. So it costs a lot of money to run Battersea. So they're always, you know, trying to fundraise. How big is it, Paul? It's massive. I... <laughs> I mean, I'd never been in it because I used to go past on the bus and think, no way are you going in there, mate, because I'd, I'd come out like, what's her name? And the, the inner six happiness, Gladys Aylwoods, was, <laughs> when she was going over the mountains with about 200 kids, that'd be me. And I thought, no, you're not going in there, sorry. And I'd never let myself go in. And I have no idea just how big it is. It's huge. Loads of staff, loads of volunteers who go in every day and walk the dogs, you know, take them to the park. And they all have little um, coats on saying, I am looking for a home. 
And, it's, um, and the staff are wonderful, you know, because they're, they're certainly not there for the money because I don't think they're paid very much. You know, they're there because they love it. And they've been there years as well. Paul, what dog did you bring home? Because there was, it was a million pound you were going to bring something back. Well, I said, like, originally, I said, you've got to put me contract. I'm not allowed to take anything home, <laughs> please. Anyway, there was a boxer I fell in love with. Great, big, ugly-looking boxer who melted. And he was, oh, God, he was gorgeous. He used to sit on me now. I could hardly move. He was the size of a donkey. And he was a, a lovely dog, but I thought... At the time, I thought I was going on tour. So I thought, well, I can't get a dog and then just leave him. And my three would object to a big dog like him. All going to go out of my mind. But a puppy, they'd be okay with. So on the very, very last day, I cracked. And a, a little chihuahua, <laughs> God, who'd been left tied to the gate heavily pregnant, she'd given birth. Um, we'd sort of all bottle-fed the puppies. And I just thought, oh, well, I might as well. So he's a Chihuahua Jack Russell cross called Eddie, who thinks he's a Rottweiler. It's hard as nails. <laughs> hard as na- He's named after Edward G. Robinson. You know, little Caesar. Oh, right. <laughs> and he's because he stands out, the legs open in the hole, goes. <laughs> he's such a great dog, but he's brilliant with kids. You know, he's a he's a smashing dog. Paul, Very loyal. On, on a serious side, because I know you know you you have a passion for animals. Are we going to be upset by the series because of the so many dogs? Uh, yeah, left? I'm afraid so. Because what I did, I did a bit of my own audience research, you know, when they give you the tapes because you have to watch them to do the voiceovers. So I played it to various friends, you know, and um, Sean who works for me, and other people who floated in and out. They're all sitting crying. <laughs> <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> Well, no, I was, like, delighted. You know? <laughs> I thought, well, it's had some effect on them, you know what I mean? But but it makes you smile as well. It's one... Do you remember... Su- surprise, surprise. Yeah. Remember at the end when they'd reunite, you know, some old woman with a long-lost sister who she hadn't seen for a million years, and you'd find yourself grinning like a fool, but your eyes filling up at the same time. Yeah. It's a bit like that. It's wow. a sort of mixed emotion. Are you pleased with it now you've seen it back? I am very pleased with it, yeah. Yeah. Because we had no budget, you know what I mean? And we all, we really went for it. Because, as I said, I was only supposed to do six days. And I said, well, what can I do in six days? So I hung around for six months just to make sure it was, (laughs) no, well, no, because it's that, because otherwise I'd have just been at the top of the show saying, this is Battersea. Today we're going to look at a dog who needs an operation and all that business. Yeah. But as I'm actively, I go in on all the operations and things, and I'm in at the births and what have you, and on the reception desk. So you're doing <laughs> everything? Yeah, I had a ball. And, you know, it was lovely, because when we first went in, I got the impression they were all thinking, um, yeah, we got, you know, we've got somebody off the telly here. And mm. gradually they warmed to us, you know, because they could see how enthusiastic we were. And in the end, we became like part of the staff. That's fantastic. We did what we liked. It was great. What do you want people to take from this show? I'd like them to take a dog, actually. <laughs> Responsible people, that is. You yeah. know, to see it and say, right, we'll go down now and we'll adopt a dog. It's sad, isn't it, Paul, the way people treat animals in this world? Well, you see, I always think there's a fine line between cruelty to an animal then it's not actually that far to go before you can be, do the same to a child or an adult. You know, there was yeah. a survey done in America. They're always from America, aren't they, these yeah. surveys? Yes. Has anyone ever asked you to take part in a survey? Never, never. Oh, oh me. <laughs> and yet I'm always reading about these, a survey service, so nobody asked me. 
Anyway, they did the survey and they said, eight, 80, I think it was Yale University, they said 80% of their serious offenders, i.e. rapists and murderers and other vermin like that, had all committed crimes against animals. I say it on this phone-in every time. When I hear a dreadful story about an animal, uh, cruelty to an animal, I said if they can do that to an animal, the next step they'll go to a human. Exactly. Of course, exactly. You know, they're more than capable. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't say what I wanted to say yeah. on camera at eight o'clock about these people, what I thought about them. So I had to keep my mouth shut for a change. But I, I just think it's disgusting. You know, it's just wrong. What kind of people are they to do mm-hmm. that and inflict pain and cruelty on a, a kitten or a puppy? I mean, you can do it to a baby quite as easily. Yeah. Oh, no, no, they're just, they're just wicked, absolutely wicked. Paul, we're getting soon the third part of your book. How did you manage to do that and this incredible series with the Batsy Dogs? Well, I've, um, I've just got on with it, really, yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it was hard, this one, because there's uh, quite a few deaths in it. I mean, I'm not saying it's all, you know, doom and gloom. It's not. But there are quite a few deaths in it to deal with. So, and I just, I don't like to dwell in the past and I sort of move on. So I have to, like, go through that again and I thought oh I'm not enjoying this really you know but to do them justice I have mm. to do it you know I have to put them in so we've got is this the last part of the book oh well is it hell I don't know <laughs> um, do you know what it is <laughs> you see it's terrible I sit down and I say right I'm going to do this get it finished and I don't because I go start going into detail I get carried away and because otherwise it's it's sort of like you know the, the cake's ruined for the want of an egg because you haven't you haven't done the people you're writing about justice or you haven't explained the situation clear enough. You know, it's like painting a picture. Do you enjoy writing? Of, hey, do you enjoy writing? I love it. Yeah, but it's a, a bit of a, a taskmaster, master or mistress. I haven't got me dental plate in, so I'm lisping. <laughs> <laughs> you heard about the tooth, didn't you? Well, I was just going to ask you, tell them about your tooth. Oh, Jesus, the tooth. Anyway, I've had this tooth. I call it the vampire tooth. You know, there the front, you know, where the your canine tooth or whatever. Yeah. And it's had so much root canal on it over the years by various dentists all over the world, some good and some, like, from Marathon Man. And eventually the old thing just crumbled and they said, look, we're going to have to take it out. And I thought, well, what am I going to do? And they said, we'll give you the screw in. You know, where they screw these, this tooth in. So I had to have a plate with this tooth in it. And I felt ancient, you know, in the supermarket buying polygrip <laughs> and skeletons. <laughs> and I thought, come to this now, your sunset flat. Anyway, this rotten tooth, I've had nothing but murder with it. I'm getting the screw in next month. So that's the end of the plate. But I came and one day I'd taken it out in the car and put it in my coat pocket and it fell out on the kitchen floor. And I'm just putting the kettle on and I look down and here's Eddie sitting on his basket. <clears throat> and I thought he'd had an accident because I could see all his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't he had the dental plate in his mouth with the two fangs sticking out. So I had charge over to get him. And just as I went to get him, he went hot. And the tooth snapped and the two front teeth shot out. So they had to be glued on with super glue, which, of course, I didn't leave to dry. And I put it in my gob and it stuck to the roof of my mouth. And I got an ulcer. And it's just, look, if any kids listening, look after your teeth. That's all I can say. <laughs> because it's a nightmare. And not only that, the expense. <laughs> you know, every time he goes to the dentist, yeah. I come out shaking. I think, good God, I could have bought a, a street in Anfield for that. I mean, it's <laughs> oh, ridiculous. <laughs> 
Paul, I've got to ask, and I never thought I'd ask the question. I thought Lily Savage would never appear again, but she's in pantomime. Oh, well, one last, last kick of a dying horse. That's what that is. Um, I, I enjoyed it last time, you see. It was great. And I thought, so go on, then I'll do it one more. And that is definitely it, then. That's it. I know I've said it loads of times. I mean, not for Panto, but it is for Lily. That's it. But you say um, um, they're building a theatre for you, aren't they, at the O2? Well, they're, they're putting it at the O2 because it makes sense because there's lots of parking and it's not expensive and there's loads of cafes and restaurants and all that. Because, mm. you know, if you put a pant on in the West End, it costs a fortune. Yeah. And then that's reflected in the tickets. And ticket prices are extortionate enough. So if it's a family of four, you know, you're not going to get much change out of 200 quid from a trip into the West End, and that's just stupid. But yeah. up at the O2, it's a lot cheaper. So they build a performance area for you. You know, yeah. they build that stage. It's like a proper theatre. Yeah, yeah. Although I've got a feeling I'll be in a porter cabin round the back somewhere, <laughs> sitting there with a, <laughs> with a fan eater. <laughs> Kicking off. I've, I've got to ask you, because an awful lot of your pals are in Celebrity Big Brother. Have you watched it all? No, I don't like Big Brother, please. But Beth's Honestly. in it. Beth Lynch, Colleen, watched... they're all in it. I've sat down and I've watched bits of it, you know, and I thought, I, I, I don't know how they do it, no. honestly, because yeah. I'd go insane. I'd end up killing a load of people, and I'd go on the rampage in the middle. That's crack. I know I would. Because uh, there's nothing to do, is there? There appears not to be, apart from Julie Goodyear chewing gum and swearing oh. her head off. Oh, is she swearing? Beyond belief. <laughs> Is she? Yeah. <laughs> and she, that's the nicotine gum she's on. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, that's um, what that will be. She's chewing gum, yeah. That's interesting. Because if you notice, she's probably never got a ciggy at the same time as she's chewing gum. Yeah. That's the Poirot with me, that piece. I've that's just, just deduct- brilliant. I just think you're amazing. I wasted. Deducted totally that. wasted. So the series starts Monday at 8 o'clock on ITV. It's called For the Love of Dogs. How many weeks is it running for? Uh, seven weeks. Wow. Yeah, because they, they wanted six originally, and they liked it, and they said, have you got any more footage? And we said, well, we've got about seven years here, yeah. <laughs> if you want it. So they said, oh, we'll do another episode, so we gave them another episode. Is there anything in the future you can tell us about, or is it all under wraps? Yeah, loads. I'm, just, I'm starting a series next week with the BBC about, would you believe, the working classes. I think they've only picked me because they think I'm common. Right. <laughs> Get him in, in. You know, he'll know all about outside laughs and whippets. You know, like, if you've got an accent. And, um, so, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm looking forward to that because I'm going back to Birkenhead and I'm seeing people from the old days, from Louder Street and all that. Oh, so we're going to be I'm seeing you on our you know, About what it used to be like yeah. before they were all pulled down and the high rises were built. Yeah. Like so, Liverpool, everyone's moved off to Kirby and one of you. So will you be staying with our Sheila? Uh, no, because I'll be up at the crack of dawn. You always, listen, you, it's filming. I, you say to me, would you like to do a film? I'd say, no, thanks. It's going to cut me liver out with a spoon. Because you're up at four o'clock in the morning. It's, it's, it's like shift work. <laughs> and then you don't finish till 11 at night. You've got a load of dialogue to learn for the next day. And you think, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> No, God, God, no, I didn't go into showbiz for that. So so I'm up early, so I'm best off an hotel or something. Now, your phone, your fan club asked me to ask, how are you? How's your health? Oh, fine, yeah, absolutely fine. So you're looking after yourself? You're looking after yourself? 
Yeah, well, I mean, what's looking after yourself, you know, sort of... I'm I'm not one to sit... You know, I can't sit still and do nothing. Forget yeah. it. I've never been like that. It's always on the go. Um, but it's all, it, I think it does you good being on the go. Mm. You know, I'm always out and about and doing stuff, and especially in the countryside. Mm. I think you're going to get the shock of your life when you find out how many people are coming to see you in pantomime from up here. So many have rung me and told me they booked tickets. And, you know, I mean, I, I always... I said when we did it in Southampton, we should do this in Liverpool, this panto. Because it opens with a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> and the funeral's set in Landigan Cemetery in Birkenhead, which, funny <laughs> enough, there's a, a skyline of Liverpool across the Mersey. We've cheated slightly with the geography. Right. And the whole thing is about, you know, the little village and, village and fishing village in Birkenhead and mm. the, the, the Twanky family and all this, and it's very funny. <laughs> but to open a panto with a funeral, but it goes well, and the kids love it because it's a bit scary. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I see, sadly, we lost Max Bygraves this weekend. I know, poor old Max Bygraves. 89, and we grew up with him, didn't we? He was never off telly. Oh, God, yeah. Because I, I used to think, who's this fella there? You know, you come on on the telly and say, I want to tell you the story. And yeah. I go, mm, as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but as you get older then, I, got, I grew to appreciate him. Mm. You know, he was a great storyteller. I'll tell you what he had. He had a real charisma, Max Bygrave, didn't he? Yeah. Like, you felt like he was talking just to you and nobody else. Apparently, Paul, uh, there's a lovely story that uh, Jimmy Tarbuck was staying at his house. And Max, oh, Jimmy Tarbuck loved him. Well, yeah. Well, Max apparently was a little bit tight and careful with his money. And apparently, he had this amazing house with these beautiful lawns, and Jimmy had a few drinks and was digging up the lawn. Max went out screaming the place down, saying, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for your money. <laughs> I know they were great. He lived in Australia, didn't he, Max Bygraves? Well, I, I don't know where he lived, actually. I mean, he was all over the place, wasn't he? I mean, he, he died in Australia. He was very popular in Australia. He did a lot of work over there. Yeah. Um, but I know. I've got it all going, aren't they? I don't feel very well myself. <laughs> I'm up to I'm up, All I do now is on the... We do a thing on the radio where we have... What um, what you, what you want playing at your funeral? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because so many people... <laughs> And it's like, it seems, I went through a stage earlier in the year. I, I lost a lot of friends. I was scared to answer the phone because it was yeah. either somebody else had cancer yeah. or somebody else had died. And I thought, what is going on? Yeah. You know, but things, a touch wood seems yeah. to have settled down. But at the beginning of the year, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Lost quite a lot of friends. Sad, isn't it? It's horrible. I ain't getting older. I'm a lot older than you. I hate it every time you pick the phone up, as you say. Paul, I can't wait to see the new series, For the Love of Dogs, and I can't thank you enough once again for talking to us. You're oh, thank, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's not the first time I've said that in Liverpool. I bet you have, especially as Lily. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> anyway, look after yourself. Love to everybody. Thanks, Paul. OK, Pete, take it easy. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7.